You know, there's many different ways you can support the Trendaholic or the Voice Junkie podcast. One of those ways is doing something you normally do in your personal life. Like, I don't know, stream movies. So in that light, you can accept with graciousness the gift of seven days free from Apple TV Plus on your boy. Yes, me, Chuck, from the Voice Junkie podcast is giving away a free week of Apple TV Plus. I mean, it's a free trial. If you want to support the podcast, hit the link below in the description box. It'll bring you right to the page so you can get that free week Apple TV Plus. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to Voice Junkie. So there's some big news coming out of the world of entertainment and it involves Sean P. Diddy Combs or Diddy or Puff Daddy or however you want to call him these days. But yeah, Sean is in the news because he is vying to buy majority stake in BET. And BET is owned by Paramount Global. Apparently now there's news saying that they are officially looking to find potential buyers in the historical brand. So let the bidding wars begin. So before we get into my analysis and my thoughts of this, because I kind of already knew this was this day would come. You know, I would talk privately with my friends and family about it and just seeing how things played out with BET over the years and the restructuring of CBS and Paramount and so forth and so forth, you can kind of easily tell that there was something that was going to really transpire in the next few years and get to this point that we are in, this reflection point that we're in. But I'll get to that in a second. Um, I have to give a bunch of context to what's going on. So let me read this article. It's an exclusive from Variety. So uh, bear with me here. So in this original Variety article, it starts off by saying, Sean Diddy Combs is entering the race to buy BET, joining fellow media moguls Tyler Perry and Byron Allen as they vying to purchase majority stake of BET Media Group amid reports that owner Paramount Global is exploring a sale of the asset Variety has confirmed. So you have Tyler Perry and Byron Allen, who's also potentially vying to purchase this stake in BET. We'll get to them in a second. That This also goes with, with I, what I've been uh, kind of theorizing for years, but we'll get to that in a second after the article. Run by CEO Scott Mills, BET Media Group is includes BET, BET Plus, VH1, which has moved under the group and under restructuring Paramount last Monday, uh, last November. So let me pause there. So apparently, BT and BT Plus, obviously BT Plus being the online or streaming version of it through the app and VH1 are now under the same umbrella. See, this is news to me because for a while, it was always three separate entities. It was VH1 by itself, um, BT by itself, and obviously the parent MTV above or the rest of those two. But now they're under the same umbrella. So whoever does purchase this brand is also going to get VH1 included. So that's also big news as well. Um, because with the VH1 asset, you can keep it or you'll spend, you can spin it off as well. I mean, if it was, if I was one of the, uh, buying partners or, parties that's trying to vie for this asset in BET and all I really cared about was BET, 
then I would spin off VH1 and sell it to somebody who might be interested. Maybe Comcast, Universal, or whoever else. Um, also, all right, so let me get back to the article. So, a source close to Combs tells Variety that the global music icon and record executive turned multi-industry entrepreneur is exploring the opportunity to purchase BET as a part of his strategy to build a black-owned global media powerhouse. This is in quote. So, this is what um, Diddy's camp is saying. It's pretty much giving his reasoning for wanting to purchase the brand in the first place and it's for obvious reasons um the article continues saying another source familiar with the situation tells variety that while combs has expressed interest in acquiring bet he has not yet considered to be in talks with paramount to purchase a majority state in fact that insider says that paramount is not yet in talks with anyone at this point in the process but that many parties have expressed interest so this is really, really new news to the industry and to all the you know partners involved and people who always envisioned buying this property. So basically, Paramount is saying, all right, rumors are true. We're looking to spin this off to someone who wants to buy it. Um, we're listening. We're listening. We haven't officially put it out there yet. But we are taking in offers. We are at least listening to people, uh, for, to those who are interested in purchasing this. Well, actually, no, this is important. This is Combs. This is the article continuing about Combs's ascension into media and what he has done with uh, Revolt. So I have to read this part. So, of course, Combs is already the owner of Revolt, which is launched in 2013. Over the past decade, the network rooted in hip hop culture has developed into a multimedia company that produces linear and digital long form series and multi-platform short form programming. At its inception, Revolt reached roughly 25 million households. Today, that number is roughly 80 million, with its digital reach exponentially greater. Um, it says in parentheses, uh, between January 20th, uh, excuse me, January 2020 and November 2022, so a two-year span, the digital audience has grown from 500,000 unique views per month to 5 million. That number is now reported at 12 million digital visitors monthly, plus 18 million social followers. So obviously, the, the article is kind of touting Diddy and his accomplishments with his own channel and how he's um, grown that channel, not just through subscriptions and those types of things, but what's mostly important, and that's uh, viewership and visitors, you know, because it's all about the visits, you know, content over everything, COE, baby. All right, so let's read another part here. Just fast forward here. So it goes, Combs also has a long-standing relationship with Paramount Global. This is the parent company of BET, of course. Dating back to his days with MTV, where he produced three iterations of Making the Band between 2002 and 2009, which were major success for the network. So they're adding that part in there because they're letting people know, they're letting other investors know, or, you know, whoever that's important that needs to know that isn't a part of our culture, that's not even in the know of what Diddy has done in the past. This is like perfect propaganda for Diddy, right? Because this is a glowing article that is speaking glowingly of what he's done in the past to those who may not know what he's done in the past. So this is pretty crafty on his part and his PR team. <laughs> so uh, kudos to them. But it, it, it is true. You know, Diddy has been doing this production thing for a while. He has been doing this content thing for a while. So 
you know, this could also play a huge part in negotiations as far as um, what can be done and what not what can't be done as far as, you know, maybe he comes on board as a, a content creator for Paramount in certain aspects and their cultural development or urban development department or whatever the case may be. You know how these corporate people like to name, you know, our lifestyle. So, uh that could be one of those things, a call for that, but um, or a play for that, so that I would not be surprised at all. So it also says, most important Combs, though, a source tells Variety, is that BT returned to being black-owned brand, which is, he believes, talking about Combs, better for the business, or better for the business, for the culture, and for building wealth in the black community. Acquiring the network represents an opportunity for black community to come together to own an important platform, and Combs would enlist a collective of high-powered black business people and entertainers to further build it up. Man, Puff is really, really, really putting his mouth and his dollars to use at the same time. You got to give him credit for this. Everything he's been saying for the past several years about black owned, we got to do it with community this, community that. He's been he's been doing it. He's been doing it. Let me read some other parts. So before I get to what my point is uh, with all of this, um, Variety had also said last week that. They confirmed that Perry, Tyler Perry, had a early discussions about acquiring the network as well. So this is last week. While spokesperson for Byron Allen's group stated that Allen Media Group founder is also interested in buying the uh, BT uh, property. So Byron Allen's a big media mogul. I'll get to him in a sec. As I said, there is the landscape. So you got three big media moguls who are all African-American vying for this, which is great news. This goes into what my theory was has always been, but it started with Tyra Perry. Way, way, way back. Tyler Perry being a production house, an actor, content, everything. I mean, he, you know, everyone wanted him. Netflix wanted him badly. And he decided to go with BET, which kind of puzzled a lot of people. They were like, oh, man, you, you're hot as you are. You could pretty much write whatever deal you want with other places and get more attention and potentially more money. But Tyler Perry craftily decided to stay, quote unquote, home with BET. He stayed with BET, one of the main figures and spearheading their new content. He helped launch BET Plus. A lot of that stuff was launched on his back because a lot of that stuff he produced. So I think Tyler Perry has sneakily from the beginning been working and putting the the little nuggets in place to purchase BET from day one. He has always been trying to do this because why would you do what you've done over these last few years when you could have, you know, set your future anywhere you wanted to when the time was right? But you decided to go with an unproven brand or a brand that was struggling at the time, BET, help launch the BET Plus app and everything. So why are you doing this? You're doing this because now you have all your content on these platforms and you at any moment can pull all of that content because you have control over that content that you created for BET. Man, half of their content right now is Tyler Perry. So that is going to play heavy when it comes to negotiations, when it comes to all of these guys sitting in the room, they're going to have to listen to Tyler Perry first because he's a you know production house. He's a content creator, and he's been doing it for them for the last few years. With all that being said, Byron Allen, another big mogul. You don't know about him. You know, former comedian guy, became multi-billionaire. Let's put it like this. He's a black dude. His uh, media group, Allen uh, Media Group, they own the Weather Channel. That's it. 
Let's just stop there. Comedy TV, you know, the Brio TV, all that stuff he owns. It's cool, but it ain't the Weather Channel. <laughs> so Byron Allen is a big, big, big uh, media mogul in this industry. So the fact that he owns that and he's been a billionaire and been doing this for quite some time. You got all of these big media figures that are all black and that's all from this community. It just makes the most sense in the world for those three guys, those three gentlemen to get together in a room somewhere. I don't know, San Tropez, whatever rich guys do. And just hash this out and say, hey, Tyler, you're a content guy. You've been working with these guys for the last few years. You know, what's the temperature like over there? Let's let's put something together where all three of us can um, be at the forefront of uh, bringing back this uh, movement and this uh, BT movement. At the end of the day, they all three of them should come together. And I would not be surprised if some of these talks are happening. And if they're not happening, that that's shame on them because this is an opportunity where all three of them could clear. They all three of those guys got enough money to get this. So they should uh, pull together and get this before some stupid ass hedge fund or equity firm snatch it up. And then we'll be, you know, back to square one again. I mean, I don't mind. I'll take a fine. I don't really care. I thought, you know, um, Ben Taylor was fucking terrible tonight. Um, I thought that on most nights, you know, a couple of the, you know, out of the three, there's one or two that just fucked the game up, you know, and it's, it's, it's been like that a couple couple games in a row. Um, Denver was tough, obviously. You come out tonight, you're competing pretty hard. The third quarter, I get a bullshit tech, changes the whole dynamic of the game, changes the whole flow of the game. And, um, you know, most of the refs are trying hard. I like a lot of the refs are trying hard. They're pretty fair. They communicate well. And then you got the other ones who just want to be dicks and um, just kind of fucks the game up. Nobody's coming to see that shit. They come to see the players. And um, I think we're losing a little bit of the fabric of what the NBA is and was. And um, it's been disappointing this season. Um, you can look up most of my texts this year have been with Ben Taylor officiating. So at a certain point as a player, you feel it's personal. And um, it's never a good place to be. That's not why we lost tonight. We got outplayed. Um, but it definitely makes it tougher to overcome. Yes, what you heard right there was Fred Van Vliet, point guard for the Toronto Raptors, all-star point guard. Usually, he's a mild-mannered guy. He usually doesn't even explode, doesn't have an attitude, he doesn't have a reputation in the league. He actually has a reputation for being a pretty good, mild-mannered dude. So, for him to come out of his face like that in regards to officiating in this league in the NBA today, it tells you something. He didn't get fined as much. He only got fined $30,000. I mean, shit, that's a lot of money for most people. But for an NBA player, that's not a lot, especially when you have a scathing rebuttal or an scathing opinion like that. You usually get fined upwards of $50,000. But again, Van Vliet being a nice guy, not having a reputation of doing anything of the sort in the past, he got a pass. That being said, he's not wrong. These guys be having these little agendas. Some of these officials be having these little agendas that need to be called to the rug. You're a professional just like the NBA player, just like the baseball player, the football player. You are a professional just like they are. And you are not, you know, perfect. You you screw up. But when you do things that's out of the sort, that isn't, you know, part of how the game is supposed to be officiated, then you got to get called out for it. You know, we, we live in a game. These games, these guys get incentivized, you know, to play a certain amount of time, to score a certain amount of points. So to be getting thrown out of games for the most bizarre reasons in the world, just because some of these referees are the most thin-skinned human beings in the world, it's not fair. 
it's not fair at all. I mean, we just seen Ant-Man of the Timberwolves get ejected in the Celtics game. I was watching that the other night. He got ejected with like a second left. And because he said something the official didn't like, he said it in a mild tone, but you know, it's basketball. It's basketball, you know? So there are some refs that think they're bigger than the game. It's always been that way. I remember Joey Crawford back in the days, Joey Crawford, uh, you know, an NBA ref, had this thing with Tim Duncan. No one knew why he hated Tim Duncan or didn't like Tim Duncan because Tim Duncan is another one of those guys. He's like Fred Van Vliet. He doesn't say anything controversial ever. And he's mild-mannered and he's a pretty good dude. Most people like Tim Duncan. So for whatever reason, Joey Crawford didn't like him. And I remember one time he teed Tim Duncan and he was laughing about something on the bench. And he teed up Tim Duncan. And everyone just looked and said, whoa, what was that? And then Tim Duncan had to go out and talk about, you know, Joey Crawford's treatment towards him. And, you know, and nobody ridiculed him at all about it. Because at the end of the day, you know, you do have some of these ass kissers on TV. You know, some of these people who love corporate rule. They'll say anything that's (laughs) on board with their employer or on board with anything that's corporate in front of it. So, you know, you got some people that didn't really like what Van Vliet had to say. But hell, man. Call these cats to the carpet. Put their name on it as well and say, hey, bro, you want to be a star? Well, here it is. Your name is out there. Do better. So I just witnessed the Yukon Huskies laying in turd. Um, Let me not say that. These kids played hard. Um, It came down to the wire. Of course, it was two of the top teams in the country and, of course, two of the top teams in the Big East. And, it, you know, it came down to 70 to 68, down to the wire, and uh, Marquette came out on top. A lot of things that I, I would love to talk about in regards to the game as far as how it went in the first half on to the second half. Well, first of all, I, I think that um, Dan Hurley got outcoached by Shaka Smart. He, he simply did. It is period. I, I have a serious issue with Dan Hurley and his emotions. I think he's overly emotional at times, and he's not as rational when he's in his emotional state. And I've seen this in a lot of games this year where he just loses it on the sidelines and there's no one to help steer the kids out of danger when he's just in this weird emotional eruption. Of course, not with the great Jim Calhoun. You know, you would get these flare ups, but it was always a controlled rage with Calhoun, whereas Danny doesn't seem to have that on the sidelines. But as I digress from him, as far as his behavior and his emotions, more importantly, I just want to get to the the strategy. First of all, the first half, I thought that the team came out real shook when it came to Marquette because Marquette was aggressive out the gate. They were freaking just all up in, you know, Jordan Hawkins. They had a clear mission today. They was like, yo, we're going to stop Hawkins today. We're going to stop number 24 from shooting the ball down our throats. So they was real physical with him when it came to the three-point line, getting off those screens. And he just couldn't, he could not adapt. He just, overall today, it was probably the worst game I've ever seen him play as far as this year. For sure, the worst game I've seen him play this year, where he just didn't have it. He didn't have it the entire game. He didn't have it offensively, and he didn't have it defensively. Why Dan Hurley kept playing him in the second half, I just don't know. But anyway, I'll get to the second half. But ending the first half, I just wanted Dan Hurley to get the kids to just start attacking Marquette's zone. You know, they were a little off guard in the beginning. 
But they caught up a little bit because of their talent. They just have talent. They have talent and size. You know, the size itself was a big advantage going into this game against Marquette, which I think Dan Hurley underutilized again because he just does these things sometimes where I just scratch my head. But I'll get to that in a bit. But he should have had the guards attacking that zone, attacking that paint. So when you can get those kickouts, those more open threes, those more open jumpers, but they kept relying on playing the three-point line and it played right into the zone. And of course, the kids were flustered. Newton was just flustered. And, you know, I I don't like Newton's ball handling, by the way. You know, I know he's not a natural point guard. Clearly he's not. And he's trying his best. But man, his hand ball handling sometimes is is a question. And Hawkins, he just... You know, you got they got up into him, and then he just lost his confidence. He just never regained it. He just never did. So, halftime, we tie the game. Everything's good. They come back, and then they come out roaring. Clearly, Shaka Smart's message during the half was, yo, we're going to come out aggressive and violent. Like, And they did. They came out shooting lights out. They went up as high as 10 points at one point. It was like 56-46 at one point. And... It was like, at that point, I was just saying to myself, listen, you know, it was it was very clear. I said this 48 minutes ago. I'm, I'm reading this in real time, by the way, on my Twitter stream. I said, looks like one coach made the right adjustments during the half while the other didn't. And I put in parentheses, hint, last name ain't smart. And I was talking directly to Dan Hurley because Dan Hurley, again, didn't have them ready to come out after the half. He just didn't have them, you know, and then they made their run. Credit to the kids, man. They made their run. And I just have, I'm going to probably say something that's not probably the most popular when it comes to UConn fans. And I know people love uh, Sonogo. I, I think he's extremely overrated. I think he, he plays his tail off, man. But he's extremely undersized big. And he's probably not going to be drafted high in league. I, I don't even think he's as good as a Mecca Okafer. I'm as old as I've seen a Mecca Okafer. He, he's not a Mecca Okafer. So... I just really don't like how this team sometimes just, and I get it, he's an upperclassman, he had all the points in the Big East and all of this crap, I know, even though a lot of those were rebounds and putbacks. I I, I don't like this team when they always are so Sonogo dominant. I, here's another tweet. That I, I'm just reading these in real time, man, because this is how ridiculous the game went. Uh, here's, here's a tweet. This team is too Sonogo dominant when he's on the floor. When Kling isn't in the game, the ball moves more. Dan Hurley was just making these. He was just bumbling all over the place. He wanted to. I get it, man. I get it. You want to stick with your horses. You want to stick with the guys that, quote unquote, brought you to the dance. But, man, you know what the great coaches do? The great coaches make adjustments. They make the adjustments necessary. They don't worry about players and their effing feelings. They make the adjustments to win the goddamn game because that's the point, to win the game. And clearly he knew uh, Jordan Hawkins didn't have it. Number 24 didn't have it. And I love the dude. The dude is going to get in the first round. He's going to get drafted in the first round. The guy is a pure shooter. I mean, he's an NBA shooter right now. So I I know the kid's talented, but today he didn't have it. And this is the game that you should have made an adjustment to where, hey, look, you're going to sit for a while. Until you figure it out. And if you don't figure it out, then, hey, man, you're just going to be sitting out for the rest of this. 
We'll we'll get we'll have your back and we'll do our best to finish this thing strong while you sit there and support us on the bench. Because him on the floor today, he couldn't even do anything. He he couldn't get his his, his defensive assignments right. It, it was bad. You know, it was negative to have him on the floor defensively and offensively today. So I'm not going to get mad at the kid. You got to get mad at the coach because the coach put him in the situation where he didn't have to be in that situation. Long story short, man, Dan Hurley, another one of those games where you scratch your head and say, hey, you could have did a little bit better. You know, and again, me playing the couch coach, I would have definitely played to our size. Play Klingon. Klingon, to me, Klingon, I like Klingon. To me, I think Klingon is a better big. I think he he just moves more free with the offense. Like he doesn't need the ball, and he just moves off the ball a lot better than Sonogo, in my opinion. The ball just, like I said, the ball moves freely with Klingon because the I think the guards realize like, hey, he's not looking to be fed every single play like they do with Sonogo. Klingon's on there, play defense, uh, clean up the boards, and do the little things. And yeah, if we have a bigger, a big enough size advantage, we're going to dump it down there to him. I noticed they made the run with Klingon in the game and with number four in the game when Hawkins was on the bench. So why wouldn't you ride those horses a little bit longer, Danny? So again, just poor coaching on Dan Hurley's part. Um, shout out to Marquette. They played hard. They definitely represent the mindset and the the drive and determination of their head coach and Shaka Smart. Uh, They're definitely doing a lot of things so far that people thought they wouldn't be able to do. So now they're going to be in the Big East Championship final against whoever comes out, you know, with Creighton and Xavier. So crushing defeat, you know, for the Huskies. They should have did better. And uh, hopefully they can make these corrections during the tournament. And let's see what happens. Go Huskies.